Welcome to Chasing Three Hours, a podcast about what runners are chasing, why they keep pushing themselves, and what keeps them curious. I'm Josh Peterson. Today's interview is with Dylan Geringer, a former D3 national champion and 214 marathoner. We discuss the odd circumstances that resulted in him taking up cross country and how an illness almost derailed his running career. We also dive into his chase for a national championship, the 2021 Philadelphia Marathon, and trying to become an Olympic trials qualifier. Enjoy today's interview with Dylan Geringer. Dylan Geringer, welcome to Chasing Three Hours. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I uh, I begin every podcast by asking how the most recent run was for the guest. You had two today. How were your runs today? Uh, they were fine. A little bit cooler today than it has been, which is nice. Uh, ran in some places that I haven't ever run before, so that's always cool. You know, good company, all that. That's awesome. I've I've you know I've noticed I've been following you on Strava for about a month now. Uh, and I was recently talking about this pod with a friend recently, and he said, I looked through his Strava today, and he is legitimately unhinged. His training is ridiculous, and his captions are hilarious. I, I found that, that that described you pretty well, just you know, getting in lots of mileage and then putting out funny captions at the same time. I mean, honestly, that's just what I like to do. Uh, I try not to take the like Strava too seriously, and I've been trying to like just do what I want with running, and to me, that means like, I don't know, doing a lot of mileage and putting some ridiculous stuff on there. Uh, I get a lot of questions like, what's up with your title? <laughs> uh, if I put up something that's just like morning run, people will literally text me and be like, dude, are you okay? Um, so it, yeah, it's become kind of a staple of my of my of my running at this point. Yeah, I've started following more people over the last, you know, I've been on Strava for a few years now. And lately I've been following people such as yourself, that I think are really fun to follow from the standpoint of great mileage, great times. Um, but, but oddly, when I start following more people like you, it's captions or the captions, I feel like they get funnier. Whereas just like a lot of people locally here in Nebraska, it's like morning run. Sometimes people ask yeah. questions in the caption. I usually literally just will put it like tough workout or something like that. So I've enjoyed following you in recent weeks and months because I think it's always fun to see like what thing you're going to come up with. Is it something that just kind of tickles your fancy on the run and you just go from there? Uh, so it's just, it's funny stuff. I see it's funny stuff. I think of honestly, I've got a Strava notes app that's or like a, a notes app on my phone. And one of the is just called Strava titles and it's just filled with stuff. And after a run, I'll just go in and pick something that I think is like making me laugh at that point. I tell a lot of people that Strava is my favorite social media. It's like Strava, Twitter, one, two. And like, I really do try to treat Strava more like a social media than just like a running log because I have, I have a running log like for me. So Strava is just kind of like, I don't know. I think it's funny to like have a big workout and then contradict that with just like a title that means absolutely nothing. I was talking about that with the guest on last week's episode, Chris Whitney and how my favorite thing now is when I get to Saturday or a Sunday and I finish my long run, whatever the day of the week that it's on, and I log on and I see everyone's doing the same thing. Like it's just, I'll be, I'll be eating breakfast, um, I'll be smashing a burrito or something, and it's like, run, run. And it's just, it's 12 miles, it's 15 miles, it's 20 miles, whatever it is. And so I've, I've, uh, I've definitely been gravitating more towards that over the last couple of years than maybe the others for the reasons that you just mentioned and just, I don't know, getting excited and seeing what my friends are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your running journey. It's um, it's pretty incredible. And I guess let's go all the way back to when you began because 
you were not running, if I remember right, until you were a sophomore in high school. And the reason that you started doing so was because you dealt with some injuries playing football. What um, what was that like for you going from that, playing football in an area uh, that is you know known for a lot of success and then moving into cross country? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing is that nobody cared. <laughs> on, on the football team, that was like everything. It's all the school cared about. Like we were multi-time state champs, like... If you were on the football team, even if you weren't doing anything, you were cool, right? And then you go to cross country and you can be the best person on the cross country team. And there's not a single person in that school who cared about it. Like even, even the other people on your team didn't care that you were good. Like they were there to like keep their weight in check for wrestling and stuff like that. They weren't even at, at that point, nobody on my team was like really explicitly trying to run fast. And that like sort of changed over my high school career which was like fun. It was fun to like go towards like actually being a competitive team. But when I first started it, it was just such a different experience because like the team didn't care about winning. There was no pressure to win. And like, honestly, there was no pressure to do anything. Like if you didn't want to run on the weekend, you didn't run on the weekend. It wasn't like two a days in football and everything. It was like, it was this completely different world. And I kind of realized that if I wanted to be like good at it, there was nobody who was going to yell me into being good at it. I had to like choose that instead. Did, did you find that internal drive? Like, like, did that come to you easy, I guess, pushing yourself or wanting to push yourself? Or was that something you think you've developed over time? I think in running, it can be pretty easy to get that drive because I think we've all experienced probably the same thing, which is like when you start running, you're PRing almost every time out. And if you're a certain type of person, which I feel like a lot of runners are, that's like what we gravitate towards. Like when you're PRing every single time out, that gives you like the dopamine hit where you're getting, you're getting addicted real quick because like tangible improvements, a really cool thing to see. And when you're taking like two and a half, three minutes off your 5k over the first three months of running, like that, I think for most people that gets them to the point where they're like, well, what can I do at that point? So why, I guess, why choose running then? Like you're dealing with these concussions in football and then you decide to do like, like, I guess, were there, were there other sports that you considered? Had you maybe succeeded well at a fitness test or something in elementary or middle school that you were like, I guess this is a sport for me. Uh, I guess like what led to that decision? Uh, really the only like thing that made me think about it was when we were doing conditioning for football or baseball, I was always like the guy when we like had to do the longer stuff, like laps around the field, like for baseball, I kind of felt like I could do that forever. And a lot of my teammates like very much could not. And it was like the most dreaded part of practice or the most dreaded part of like preseason training for them. And really I just knew I needed a sport. I'm a competitive person, even though I like don't like that sometimes. So I like, I needed a fall sport to fill it in or else I was going to go crazy and cross country was kind of, the most accessible one, I guess. And so you were, I mean, you were solid, right? Like at the start, it, it wasn't like you hopped into a cross country race and suddenly you're finishing first. Uh, I was, I was okay or below average when I started, uh, pro probably below average. I got to okay by the end of the first year, but like, even then, I think if you look at like the district championship results, I was probably like 60th or 70th in my district. I wasn't I wasn't impressing anybody, that's for sure. But it, it seems like you were enjoying, um, I, I guess, the change in your teammates. Like, like, didn't you say that you've, you had a lot of fun and, and the teammates and the camaraderie and all those things, it was, it was different for you than even football or, or even baseball had been. Why do you think, I guess, why do you think 
cross country is like that because I, I didn't play football in high school, uh, but I did play growing up. And I remember getting into cross country and very quickly realizing like, wow, uh, this is kind of a different atmosphere and the meets are different than I would have expected going in. Why do you think that's the case? I think the biggest thing is like, even if you're on a successful team in football or baseball, there's like some element of you wanting or needing your teammates to do worse in order for you to like appear better or like get playing time or something. Obviously not everybody thinks that way, but I think it's a lot more common in the like more traditionally team oriented sports. Whereas like cross country, you're getting a spot on the dual meet starting line sort of no matter what. And there's really no reason not to root for your teammates who are doing the same kind of suffering you're doing. And like, I think just the, the difficulty of the endeavor really brings people together and running because like, it feels kind of cruel to not cheer for somebody who's going to go suffer for 20 minutes during a 5k. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like playing a football game, a left tackle and a, a wide receiver. Like, yeah, they have the same goal in the end, uh, but the responsibilities entailed in each of those positions is much different. Uh, meanwhile, you put a group of racers together and they're all running a 5k or whatever distances is uh, they're, they're all going through a similar thing. And so, as, as you said, I, it, it makes the camaraderie or that rooting interest uh, maybe a little bit easier for everybody. So what was um, you mentioned the beginning of your running career and and being below average? What, what at what point did you say, like, OK, this might be something for me. This might be something uh, I could go to college with or at least have success with at the high school level. I mean, I didn't know that I would ever be able to go to college with it, especially after that first year. But I have a distinct memory of that. My first district championship, um, it was the muddiest race to this day that I've ever been a part of. Like our district champ who went on to win the state championship and was like a consistent low 15 minutes guy in high school ran like 1830 to win. Oh my gosh. It was... It was the worst course I'd ever been on. Most people finished without at least one of their shoes, maybe two. How many did you have? I, I finished with zero. <laughs> I, I had I had no shoes at the end of that. And I, I'm pretty sure when I found the shoes, we threw them away. I don't think many people went home with their spikes that day. Um, but there was just something about that race where like kind of everybody went home humbled. And like I talked a little bit to like the district championship guy after and like found out what training he was doing. And it was the first time I had ever like talked, I guess about training theory with anybody and like realized that like, Oh, you can like go run on the weekends and like run all summer to prepare for this. Like, cause I, I showed up on the first day of like official practices that year, having no clue what I was getting myself into. I showed up and did three by mile on the first day. And I think I ran the third one, like four minutes slower than I ran the first one. Cause like, I, I just had no clue. And yeah, just that district championship and kind of like going out and getting my ass kicked and then like talking to the guys who were doing the ass kicking made me realize that like, oh, this is like, if you work hard, like that's kind of just what you have to do. Like, and that's what really drew me to it. I feel like running is the most rewarding sport for working hard. Like I could have worked infinitely harder in football and probably never gone division one because I'm five, eight, like that's just all there is to it. Same thing for basketball. Like you kind of are what you are and there's only so much you can do, but in running, it feels like that limit is at least a lot farther away. If it's there Were you having fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, obviously like as I was learning what workouts were and stuff, I wasn't having so much fun during workouts, but 
I think in a, the way a lot of runners realize, like even if the workout's not fun, you kind of feel different after you feel, you feel like good about what you did. And that was what I was really into. So you mentioned that you're not thinking or at least not knowing that it could be something uh, you take to college with you or that you go to college and you run. What was that process like before you attended Haverford College? And, and just, I guess, like ultimately maybe deciding on that school, how much did running play a part in ultimately deciding on Haverford? Running played probably the biggest part. And like, you know, I look back now and I'm like, well, that's kind of silly. Like you shouldn't, have, you weren't good enough to, to make running like such a big factor. Um, but this is like something I talk about a lot, uh, especially now that I'm a coach. It's something I think about a lot too. But I had, I reached out to so many coaches going into my senior year and I told them like, this year is going to be different. Like I've like worked way harder this summer. I've run so much more mileage. Like I'm going to apply to your school. Like if I get in, like, could I run there? And a lot of those schools I was looking at, they were like good D3 schools. And, and I basically only looked D3. And a lot of them got back to me and were basically like, you can't run for us. Like you won't be fast enough to make a roster spot. And a lot of the time I didn't even get a response back from the head coach. When I did get responses back, it was an assistant coach telling me that the head coach wouldn't email me back because I wasn't fast enough. And that, that obviously drove me a little bit, but like I emailed Tom at Haverford and he emailed me back and was basically like, if you're a good kid and you can get into the school, you're welcome to run on my team. And I could just, I, I liked that approach to it. Like I liked that there wasn't the sort of like gatekeeping too. that's, that's what drew me to D3 a lot, even as a coach. So, so then like, given what you said a couple of minutes ago about like learning about running theory and training, what was the relationship like high school coach to college coach? Then because it seemed like the latter played a huge part in the development that you had over the course of the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tom in college, even like informed my high school running a lot because I kind of like, he was the first coach that really sat down and talked to me. And I was asking him about like what like college running looked like. And he gave me kind of the mileage progression of what the Haverford guys were doing. And it was when I realized that like a lot of the freshmen were coming in and doing 70 miles that I was like, well, then I need to be doing a lot more mileage than I am right now. If I want to be ready to do that when I come in. So I probably did, (laughs) I probably did 15 to 20 miles a week as a, as a junior and I think the biggest thing that I did differently was I brought my mileage up to like 50 miles a week. My senior year, I was running on weekends. I was adding on extra miles before and after practice because we just weren't a high mileage program. We were like a, you're going to work out every single day program, um, which is a whole different, <laughs> a whole different story. Um, but yeah, like he, he, I give him so much credit for everything I became as a runner just because he, he believed in me, which I think was like the main thing before I even got there. He told me like, you're going to be an all American. And at the time I wasn't even good in high school. And like, he just believed in me and he's the kind of guy that when he tells you, you can do something, you just kind of believe you can because he's right about that stuff more often than he's not. So so you didn't think that he was like blowing smoke. It was something that you hear that and you're like, okay, he sees something in me. I, uh, I can do this if I put the work in. Yeah. The, the thing is if most other coaches had said something similar to me, I wouldn't have believed them. And I can't even tell you what it was, but just the way he told me the way he talked about it, it was like, it was a formality. Like you're going to come in here. You're going to come to this school and you're going to be an all American. And 
then I was just like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Like he told, like he told me that's what I'm doing. So that's just what it is. God, that is awesome, man. Like that is so cool. Uh, what was the, I guess, how did your body get acclimated to, to the increase in mileage? Were you doing it in like, I guess, I don't know. Do you look back on the way that you do it now and you would say, yep, that was the right way to do it. Or do you look back on it now and you're like, Jesus, I went way too hard. I upped the mileage way too quickly. How, how did your body respond to it? I mean, I can tell you, I didn't do it intelligently. I, I'm lucky that in my career, I found that like, I'm not the type of guy who, unless something weird happens, is going to like break a bone because literally I can distinctly remember I was doing probably 15 to 20 miles a week. I went on my Haverford visit over the summer found out what sort of mileage they were doing, came back and did probably 55 the next week. Like it was probably my highest mileage week ever by 30. And that was, that was not smart, but it also kind of informs what the rest of my career has been. And there's probably some value in it. I've, I've done some like crazy mileage jumps in the past and it's like fingers crossed, like worked out for me most times. Um, so like, you got, I guess you got to lean into the skills that you do have. And if that is being able to run a lot of mileage and get back into mileage quickly, like you got to use it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like you really dug the process. Like you just, you love the process of increasing the mileage and, and running the long days and running on the weekends. Like you just, you just kind of threw yourself in. I, I love mileage more than any other part of the sport. Like there's a part of me that if I think if I didn't feel completely obligated or like that I needed to justify what I was doing, I'd be perfectly happy to run 160 miles a week, never race, never work out. And just like, that's just what it would be. Just post dumb stuff on Strava and just like live my life. But to some extent, I'm like, I'm working pretty hard. I should probably race just to see what's up because that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I, I, I love that answer. And you know, this is the fourth episode of the podcast now. And I think I've told this story on all of them, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, the reason that I started like, running a few years ago, uh, among many reasons, was the daily run and the process of the daily run and the process of a weekend long run, like getting to the end of a cycle and getting the beer and getting the medal. I love those things, too. And they're really special. And I'll, you know, I'll have the memories of breaking three in Chicago last year for the rest of my life. But man, it's like a Wednesday morning. I got to get out uh, before the temperatures start rising. It's time to go 15. Like, that feeling and the process of it all. I, I love all of that stuff too. Um, and, and like, that's when I started falling in love with running in 2020. I just like, before that I wanted to get to the end. I didn't really care about the process. I wanted to get to race day. Now it's like, I don't know. It's like the complete opposite. And I, and I think in the same way, like the best way to get to the end well is to love the process. Like the people who love what they're doing every day are the ones who are running really fast. Like I think, I don't really think there's a way around it. So what was, I guess, like the early portion of your, um, your career in college? I know that you, you dealt with an illness. Uh, you, you had been dealing with an illness. Like, uh, I guess, what was it like as you're upping the mileage, you're going to classes now for the first time, you're, um, you know, you're running with college athletes and you're also dealing with something internally. It, it just had to be a really crazy time. Yeah. I not going to lie. It was a mess. Um, I was not thriving my freshman year of college in any way. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that I was going to keep going to college. Honestly. Um, it wasn't even like, a I might leave Haverford and go somewhere else. I just was like, given everything that's going on with my body, like college might not be for me. And honestly, if it wasn't for the team and the running aspect, like 
the combination like academics and being sick probably would have just driven me out of college entirely. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy that it turned out that way. If you don't mind talking about it, what was, what was the illness and the sickness that you had been dealing with? Yeah. So I've got a genetic disease called acute intermittent porphyria, um, which like, if you break it down, like the words kind of tell you like sharp and it comes and it goes. So I was getting really sick and I had no idea why for a couple days at a time. And I had no doctors who could tell me what was going on. Um, I'd seen a lot of doctors up by home in, in Berwick, but obviously the, the standard of healthcare is a little bit different. Uh, when you're, when you're in central Pennsylvania, Northeastern Pennsylvania, um, we're not rocking the best hospitals. Uh, so in another way, like going to Haverford is actually what got me through all that because I had to switch hospitals and I ended up going to the university of Pennsylvania, which is obviously like one of the biggest research hospitals in the country. And that's actually where I got diagnosed. I didn't even get diagnosed till it was either late freshman year or early sophomore year. So I had no idea what was going on. And that, that was probably the worst part of it. Like, cause you're, you're sick and you don't know why, and you're sick often and you don't know why. And it's disrupting training. It's disrupting classes. And when you're missing classes and you're like, I'm sick all the time and you don't have a, a note saying why you're sick all the time, professors aren't exactly as cool about it as they would be if, you know, you can be like, I've got this. So it was definitely, I mean, it was horrible at times, but Tom and the team are kind of what kept me there because like, I just wanted to run and running was the only thing that kind of felt normal, even like, though it was horrible when I was sick because running and feeling like I did weren't going well together, but it's what kept me sane through it. So like how much running, um, how much running did you have to miss? Like how much training did you have to miss, uh, or practice? How much did you have to miss because of that? Uh, when I would like have a flare up of my disease, I could miss three, four days of practice in a row, just like out of nowhere. And we, we found that the, the stress that I was putting my body under when I was racing was actually one of the things that was like triggering the attacks. And that was also pretty tough because for it, you race a lot in college. Um, so at the time I would like, I would build up and be running really well, like relative to me, I wasn't good on the team at that point. I was like our 15th guy. Um, but I'd be running really well. And then I'd miss like a, a week of training and I'd be kind of put back at point zero again, which was obviously super frustrating, but I just always had this like want to be, you know, towards the top of the team. And I think that's what helped. Okay. So like, I guess when you, when you finally figure out what it is, um, how, how do you get it under control? What, was it dangerous for you to run? Um, I, I guess like, what is it like now? Uh, is it s still something that you talk about with, uh, whether it's, you know, doctors or, or friends or family, like, are there still people in your life that are like, I really wish that you weren't doing this stuff. I mean, strictly speaking, I'm not supposed to be running at all. Um, I'm supposed to be keeping like the intense exercise to a minimum. Uh, but you, you gotta, you gotta do what you enjoy. Like that's, if it makes you happy. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm willing to risk it a little bit to, to like keep myself balanced and doing what I want to be doing. Um, but it, it plays, it, it plays a huge role in my training. I probably don't, I, I like pick my races very deliberately because I know I can't race too much. Um, even in college, like one year, we, we sat me at regionals, even though I was going to run at nationals the following week, 
because we knew that racing back-to-back weeks, like racing at regionals could have meant I wasn't racing at nationals. So I've always been very careful about how I plan that. And, you know, you just have to, you just have to take everything in stride. Like the thing I've learned is like, you can't, I can't figure out when it's going to happen. So I just have to not think about it till it does. Because if I sit around thinking like, oh, it could happen now, then I'm just going to be holding myself back. So um, I guess like, do you notice a, a market improvement, I guess, in your performance when you kind of got past that at that stage, um, at that point in your college career? I mean, I started being able to like actually get some treatments and like sort of work on the root of the problem. And it, it doesn't cure me. It's like, it's not, you, you don't cure it, but I've been able to manage it a lot better. And when I did start managing it a lot better, I saw a huge improvement in college. Like from my freshman year to my sophomore year, I dropped a, a minute in the 5k going from like 15, 20 something to like 14, 30. And I went from like being middle of the pack on my own team, like number 15 out of 30 to like my sophomore year, I won a couple conference titles. So it was like, I didn't quite realize how much it was impacting me until I started to move past it. And then it became very clear that like, Oh, kind of now that I have this under control, like maybe I can actually do something kind of special in the sport. So, um, uh, we were, we were talking before we got rolling and I mentioned that a listener of my radio show here in Omaha, Nebraska reached out to me and was like, Hey, check out Dylan on this podcast, the D3 glory days podcast. And one of the things that stood out to me, uh, and it was like a theme throughout that you mentioned was how you deal with things mentally, uh, and how you try not to like stay down when you're frustrated by things. Uh, you talk about the idea of having a short memory and, and it was interesting listening to you talk about that. And now hearing you again, talk about this illness that you were dealing with because, uh, and listeners of the pod will know, like I'm a month and a half, uh, past this marathon off of another marathon. And it, it didn't go the, the way that I wanted to. The weather was really horrible in the second half in terms of heat and humidity. Uh, my body, it just, it wasn't acclimated to that. And after a few years of like PR, 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 hitting all these milestones, it really took me a while to kind of come out of the funk. And I would say it's, it's really only until about this week, mid, uh, mid to late June, where I finally kind of feel like I've come home and I tell my fiance and I'm like, I'm feeling good again. Yeah. Um, what was that like for you? Um, because the frustration that you had, it was, uh, you know, multifaceted. It was the illness that you're dealing with. Uh, and then it's like the performance that you're having. Um, it, it had to be weird. I don't know, just mixed into a bowl like that. It had to be crazy for you. Yeah. And I, I'll be the first one to admit a lot of the time, especially like in the immediate aftermath, I didn't handle it well. Like I quit running a lot of times during college. Like even after my sophomore year of cross country, I had a really bad attack. Um, and I felt horrible for a week. And I like told my teammates, I was like, I don't think I'm coming back for indoor. And I took like probably three weeks off of running like entirely. And that was, it sort of gave me a lot of perspective because while running and then like being frustrated and being emotional about it made me miserable. I had never felt misery until I stopped running for three weeks and realized that like, I don't really, I didn't know how to function kind of without it, which is like, it sounds kind of sad, but like, you just have to know who you are. And like, for me, that was, that was who I am. 
I, uh, I, I talked to Derek Lowski a couple weeks ago and he was sharing a story about an injury um, and how he had to miss some time. Uh, it, you know, it was for a different reason, but it was like, uh, I, I asked him, did people ask you, Hey, are you okay? Uh, you seem kind of miserable right now. Did, did people in your life, whether they knew or didn't know what was going on uh, with your running or lack thereof at that moment in time, did they notice like a change? Uh, I don't know. And just like your general disposition. I mean, I think the biggest thing they noticed is that I like completely shut everyone out. Like I wasn't talking to people and that, that was like the worst thing I possibly could have done too. Like I, I was horrible about it. Like I didn't want to talk to my teammates cause they were doing the thing I wanted to do. Like my friends who were outside of the sport didn't understand it. So I wasn't talking to them about it. They just knew that I was like weird now and they didn't know why. And like, I wasn't even calling my mom back. Like I was, I was not handling it well. And that was like, that was the worst I'd ever handled it. And I think I learned a lot from that. Like I needed, I needed to grow up after that. And like that I, I did use that experience to grow up a little bit, but yeah, they definitely noticed cause I wasn't even there. <laughs> like, What pulled you out of it? Uh, one of my teammates coming and being like, you're, you're coming for a run with me like right now. And that like, I just like, he gave me the tough love. He's like, you need to stop being a baby about this. Like, like you don't have to come back to running, but you can't do what you're doing right now. And like he, he was right. <laughs> like I, I, I needed to hear that. And so was it kind of like, I don't know, a, a, a light bulb moment where you got back into it right away? Yeah, I, I did the dumb thing again. I was probably running like 95 miles two weeks later. Like I'm not even kidding. Cause I, I, I convinced myself like the next day I was like, the issue is I'm not running enough. Like, I was like, if I want to be good, I need to run a lot more. I went into, I went into Tom's office and I was like, Hey, can I try to run like a hundred miles a week and see what happens? And he was, he was skeptical. <laughs> he, he should have been. Um, and like, he definitely kind of tried talking me out of it, but like I was going home for winter break and, you know, I just ran as much as I could when that happened. And that, that was just what I was going to do. I think it's what I needed to do. So, so what year is it at this moment in time? This was like sophomore winter. Okay, because then you you ultimately you win the national championship in the three k in twenty eighteen, and so I mean like that's that's crazy. You go from uh, not running for you know close to a month, you ran things back up quickly, and ultimately you're a national champion. How uh how did you get to that point? I mean, just like again, I think Tom gets all the all the credit for it. Like he's. I mean, he's already in the coaching hall of fame and he hasn't even retired yet. Like that, that says a lot. He's coached, he's coached world record holder. Um, but a lot of it is just like, I kind of needed, I needed to be the best. And I've, I've kind of come down from that a little bit. Like you realize at some point that you just can't be, um, for most, for most of us, uh, like I, I can't speak for Elliot Kipchoge. Like he, he's, he can be the best forever, I guess. But, um, like as soon as I won my first conference title uh, as a sophomore, and then I like I barely missed nationals both indoors and outdoors. I I like had this like primal need where I was like I can't miss nationals next year because that would be like even just missing it my sophomore year when I had no right to even be thinking about making it going into that year. Like it it got me bad. Like I I couldn't think about anything else other than I need to run more and I need to make nationals. 
So, uh, when, you know, when a lot of us will finish a race, we'll, we'll talk about the idea of the post-marathon blues or whatever, um, you know, and, and so after all that training, like, would you look back on that? Do you ever, I, I, I mean, I guess, like, what is it like to be a college athlete to have that amount of success and now be like, you know, however many, five years removed from winning a championship? Like, um, do, do you feel that way? Do you, do you ever have that too about that moment in time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I feel weird after every race. It doesn't matter if it's like good, bad, like, I feel weird after racing because it's just, it's in such an emotional experience, kind of no matter what you do, like you finish a season and you've poured so much into it and just like, it's, it's your heart, right? Like you've put everything in and then it's over. And then the question is always like internally and externally, like people are asking you what's next. You're asking yourself what's next. And that's like, that's hard. Like, I'm sure you've done the thing where you like finish a race, finish a marathon and people are asking you what marathons next. And you're like, I, I just like, I crossed the finish line like five minutes ago. <laughs> like, so I, um, you know, I, I've told this story before. Uh, I ran Minneapolis in 2021, the twin cities in early October. Uh, I ran three twenty four fifty eight, I believe. And I, I'm driving home the next day to Omaha and immediately my mind was on sub three. And, you know, I've written about it and how I regret that because I just chopped off like 30 some odd minutes from my PR, which I said previously. And that was a year before. And, and when I had done that, I really wanted to, to run sub four hours. So I'm like, I'm driving home now. And I look back on that almost two years ago. And it's like, man, I was in the car a day after the coolest moment in my running life so far that marathon. I, I don't know if I'll ever have a race that feels like that. I don't, it, that that easy. I don't know if it's it's not the right word because it was twenty six point two miles. It's still difficult, but oh, yeah. you know I beat my goal by five minutes. And I always tell people it felt like a victory lap because I'm like I come over this hill going down into St. Paul, and it's like that that moment. It seems like it was gone in a flash for me. Yeah, and, and I, I always look back on that with a ton of regret, uh, which is why I decided not to do that when I went sub three in Chicago last year because that would have been stupid for the most part. And did you did you follow through on that? Did you? Yeah, I mean like. Uh, like I did immediately, you know, not immediately, but a few weeks later, it's like, okay, well, I'm running Boston now in 2024. I know it's going to happen. And you know, the name chasing three hours, I come up with that. I came up with that for my newsletter thinking it would be like this, you know, years and years and years. And then I did it within, you know, I don't know, seven or eight months. And it's been like, I feel like that my newsletter has become, and now my podcast has become, uh, just a place to kind of talk about my emotions and and my feelings on what's happened over the last few years. Yeah. And you can tell me if you felt something similar, but when I won my national title, I, that was the happiest I'd ever been that day. But even that night, I felt like sad almost like that was the thing that I wanted. And now that I had it, it like maybe didn't quite feel like everything I thought it would be. And I was thinking like, man, what's next? Like, why didn't I run as well in the 5k the day before that? Like, I've got to try and defend a title next year. I was stressing myself out literally like within hours of the race. And I still like, can't explain why, like it didn't make sense to anybody I was like talking to about it, but it's just so hard to keep your, your mind focused on the now in running. Cause there's always, there's always another race, right? Yep. Yep. And, and I mean, there's always going to be a shakeout run the next day and then suddenly your legs are feeling under you again. And you're like, all right, well I did this time and there could be another time. Uh, so that, that happened. That's the national championship. You're a junior, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so what happens, uh, your senior year? Uh, I did cross country and towards the end of cross country, I broke my foot and that was the end of my college career, man. I mean, do, do you look back on that? Like is regret the word or is it, is it melancholy, disappointment, frustration, kind of all those things in one, a, a little bit of everything, <laughs> a little bit of everything. Um, 
I obviously like, you know, you win, you win the national title as a junior, you're coming to your senior year with big goals. Like I wanted, I wanted to put myself in the D3 record book. I wanted to try to defend a title. I wanted to try and get as many titles as I could. And obviously like it didn't play out that way, but you know, like Haverford was the best running I'd ever done. Like I, I didn't know that running could be like it was at Haverford. And the thing that I realized probably not until two years later is that you're never going to get a better training environment than you do in college cross country. Like it's set up so perfectly for you to like really dedicate yourself to it. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be like an engineering major or something, but like I I majored in the sciences and I still felt like it was the best training environment you could possibly ask for. And like, once you're an adult, unless you're like a professionally sponsored runner, like you're just never going to be able to replicate that. And I just didn't realize that in college. And I kind of wish I had like cherished that more. Um, cause I'm never getting back to that. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I read running with the Buffaloes a couple of months ago about like what the, the, the late nineties, early two thousands, Colorado. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it was like, first of all, I was mad at myself for not reading it until this year. I absolutely devoured it. Uh, and, and then I had this like frustration with my younger self because, uh, you know, I, I, I ran for the letter. I didn't put any work into the off season and I, I peaked as a sophomore in high school and I look back on that and it's like, you know, I don't really want to do the whole, man, maybe I could have run in college uh, because I have no idea. But I, I do wish that I would have enjoyed it more in high school because like there was the, the fun team camaraderie aspect. And it's not it's not that I pushed it away. I, I didn't like push my teammates away, but I never really embraced it. Um, and, and like how I would, you know, whereas, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go out with for runs with people. Yeah. Uh, I have an awesome time with this like running group uh, here in town. And it's like I just I, I wish that I would have put that kind of effort into it back when I was in high school. Yeah. And you, you hit on something big too, which is like, you know, I'm part of like a running club now, but there's no team environment quite in the same way that there is in college or high school. You're never like really running under one banner. Like there's club cross country nationals, but that's not the same as like going out and trying to win a conference championship with your team or like competing at nationals with your team on these big trips. Like it's just really hard to get that back and you don't realize how cool it is till you don't have it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what was it like as you, as you move past college, was it like obvious for you that you're going to keep doing this? I mean, you know, obviously you like it. Uh, you're happy when you run. Uh, what, what was that like? I always, I guess I'm always curious about, about athletes, you know, athletes, um, that, that like, like when you're done playing football, you can't, there's not like a rec league yeah. for football exactly. running those, you know, those of course, though, it's something that you can keep doing. So like, what did that look like? I don't know, in the weeks, uh, in the months that followed graduating from college. I mean, I definitely had some big goals left that I knew that I couldn't stop running until I at least tried them. And then in the back of my mind, there was always the thing that a lot of people told me and that I told myself constantly, which is like, you run a lot of mileage, like eventually the marathon is the end goal, right? And I had always revered the marathon. And I'm glad a lot of people steered me away from it. Like everybody I talked to in like PRTC, which is the club that I joined right after, you know, being done with my college career. uh, Like they all told me like, don't go right up to the marathon. And they were right about that. Cause I, I wanted to, I wanted to start running marathons. Like I would have done a fall marathon right after I graduated. Um, but I, I stuck to the track a little bit longer, got my track PRs down and like got some of the big goals that I wanted. I never went sub 14, which still kind of haunts me and I still need to go after it at some point. But yeah, like I, I knew I had to keep running and kind of see where it could go. I didn't know how it was going to play out with grad school. Um, and to some extent it didn't play out well with grad school. It was, it was just too many hours every day. 
but I like, I just knew there was more I needed to do. So when did you decide to go after marathons? Uh, I decided a couple different times and then like COVID kept pushing it back, uh, which actually like delayed my start into the marathon, probably the extra year that I needed it to. Um, but when I like finally did kind of go after the marathon, it was, it was the summer of 21 and like ra- all the races were starting to come back. And I was like, there's this marathon. It, this was like late August when I decided it. I just started working out. I was like, there's this marathon in October. It's not the most competitive thing in the world. I want to like see what the distance is about and like go from there. So I, I talked to one of my best friends, Jason, who like he's coached a lot of really good marathoners. And I was like, can you help me with like the last eight weeks here up until this marathon? Like, I just want to like race it to win. I knew that the winning time was going to be somewhere in the 220 to like 226 range. And I thought that that was something I could do. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And like, we kind of did like a a mini marathon build up to that, um, which honestly didn't feel that much different. Like I was doing the mileage I needed to do. Like it just basically was like, oh, the tempo's got a lot longer. Right. Um, And then that went well enough that, like I ran 220 or 221 with like a pretty big negative split. And I didn't even really think that I probably wasn't supposed to like do a normal mileage day the the day after. But I remember I did like a seven, six, five triple the next day. And I told Jason, I was like, I feel great. And he's like, you shouldn't feel like that after a marathon. And then like later that week we were talking, I think I hit like a hundred mile week the the following week. And he's like, Philly's in five weeks. Like you seem to be responding to this really well. I don't think the marathon crushed you. Like, why don't we, you know, try to keep this going until Philly. And then that's where, that's where 214 happened and kind of everything changed. And I was like, well, I guess marathon is kind of where I'm supposed to be. Let's go back real quick. Cause I want to talk about Philly too. Um, the, the moments uh, after you're running, you know, you're three times the very next day. Uh, you, cause I'm guessing like a lot of people are listening and they're like, man, I'm really jealous of his time. And like, yeah, I I'm jealous. Uh, like what a great time, but I'm jealous that you were able to do the mileage, uh, the next day and that you're still doing a hundred miles the next week. Uh, like it, it's crazy. Um, did, did, did like you surprise yourself in, in how you came at health wise? And I don't know, do you have like a theory on why that was possible? Because I don't know, you know, like it just, it doesn't seem very normal. I mean, I guess part of it would be like, if I ran 214 a month later, obviously I wasn't like as deep in the well as I could have been in the marathon. I mean, part of it, like, I'm not going to like, probably isn't possible five years ago because super shoes didn't exist five years ago. And sure. like al- alpha flies are magic and they allow us to recover so much quicker. Um, but the other thing is like, if you can build up enough of a mileage base, I think that like you can really mitigate, like I do all my mileage on roads basically. So yeah, same. like, I think my legs to some extent were accustomed to the pounding. Like I did plenty of 130, 140 mile weeks in that buildup. So I think I was just, I think I was equipped for the marathon more so than I was any other distance. And then I credit ignorance too. Like I did a cool down after the marathon. I didn't know that people didn't do cool downs after marathon. Like I, I just like genuinely had no idea. And then I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to double the next day. And like looking back, like that was very stupid and ignorant of me, but like sometimes, sometimes not knowing what you're supposed to do is like the most powerful thing you can do. I think that played out in Philly too. Like I didn't know I wasn't supposed to like go run a 66 30 first half. Like that, 
didn't occur to me, you know, it just kind of happened. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you said something a couple of minutes ago about, you know, the, the, the time in Philly and then kind of like, okay, this is, this is, I guess what I am now. I, I want to go back before that. Like when you go into running marathons in general, I, I wonder what you were kind of hoping for, like what you were hoping to get out of running marathons. And I asked because, you know, I, I spoke with again, the, the guest on episode two, Derek Lowski, and he got into running in 2019 as a way to lose weight. Um, and you know, found out, wow, I'm really into this. I got into to running again in, in 2020 for similar reasons. And so ultimately over the last couple of years, we both chased a BQ and, and it, like, it obviously means the world to both of us, but it's like, we also didn't have like this lifelong buildup, you know? Uh, and so there wasn't this, like, I don't know. I never felt this pressure year after year, race after race where it's like, I missed it by a minute or I missed it by 30 seconds. What, what were you hoping to get out of them? And, and like, I guess what would be your answer today? given what happened uh, again in, in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing I was really hoping to get is like, I've always been interested in the theoretical, like what is the best I can be in, in running. And I did. Okay. I like, I did, I did well in college, like on the track and stuff, but I always thought like the theoretical best that I can do in running can't possibly be on the track. It has to be in the marathon because that's just what I, like before I got into marathoning, that's just what I thought I was equipped for. Cause I, I liked the mileage. I liked the longer workouts and stuff. So really the, the two things I wanted were like, can I qualify for the Olympic trials? Because that's, you know, that's a big draw in sort of amateur running. And like, if I'm going to find my upper limit, I think I'm going to find it in the marathon. And that's always just been such a fascinating concept to me. Like what's the best you can possibly do at a thing. I, I, I love the way that you put that. Um, so so the Philadelphia Marathon, as you said, is your second marathon in 2021. Uh, you finished second, second place overall. Yes. You run a sub 215. Um, you, you mentioned how you go through the half. I mean, like, what was that like? Because the expectation uh, obviously wasn't that. Uh, at a certain point in the race, you probably had this moment of, holy shit, look what wh- what this race can turn into. Uh, talk, me, talk me through that process. Yeah, I mean... I think the best way is like, should I just go through the race? Cause the, the thought process during the race changed a lot. So going into the race, I talked to my coach and we thought like great day, we can maybe run 217, 218. And that's kind of what we theorized like the OTQ was going to be. So I was like, okay, like I'm going to pace myself for that. And through 10 K, I was like, I was right where I needed to be for like a 217 something, maybe even maybe 216 high. But I felt really good still. And the guy that I was running with wasn't feeling so good. So it was basically like there was a lead group that was pretty far out ahead at that point. And then it was me and him. And then like other people were back. So I kind of had a decision to make. Like I thought this guy was going to start fading. And I I mean, he also helped me immensely. Like one of my bottles wasn't on the table and he like, he let me use his bottle too. Like I give him tons of credit. Do you know this guy? Never before the race. We started talking during the race. That's awesome. Yeah. People are good. Like that's runners are good. Like that's kind of all there is to it. Um, so I'm about to go up this big hill and like, I can see somebody kind of off in the distance coming off the, off the front pack. So I was like, I'm just going to try to go for him. And this is again, where my inexperience in the marathon is probably the best thing I could have had because I think in hindsight, what I did over the next bunch of miles was incredibly dumb, but I kind of just took off and I started clicking I started clicking like four fifties at that point, like four fifty X, like low fives. And we get to the halfway point. I cross the halfway point 
and it's at 6630. So I went from being on 217 pace to being on like 213 low pace. And all of a sudden I can see, I can see the lead car again. There's a lead pack of five, you know, within striking distance of me. They probably came through halfway about 15 seconds ahead of me. Um, and by 14, I catch them and I've got this decision to make. And I'm like, okay, well, if I caught them, like I'm going faster right now, I've been going faster. And again, the, the, the right thing to do, the smart thing to do would have been to tuck into the pack, but I was arrogant and I was like, I'm just going to like, I'm running faster. I'm just going to do that. So at that point, only one guy goes with me. And I mean, he ended up thrashing me over the last three miles. Like he beat me by like a minute and a half and he didn't leave my side till 23. But like, weirdly, I made the move to like break up the Philly marathon. And I spent, I spent a long time from like mile 14 to mile 20, like daydreaming about what it would be like to win the Philly marathon in my second marathon ever. And it was just such a surreal experience because the people I was seeing on the course were like my friends and my teammates. Like, I had very much adopted Philly as my city. It's still my favorite place on like my favorite place on the entire planet. Love my coaching job. It's in Scranton. Like if it was in Philly, it'd be the dream job. Like that's, it's just my place. But like, it was just surreal. Like I thought, I thought, and like I could have for a minute won the Philly marathon. And that was just, it was the coolest experience of my life. Like I, I thought that that moment, those moments meant more to me than like the national title. We uh we talked earlier about post race blues. I mean, good good God, what 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 were they like with this one? That was the one where I was like, I was okay post really, Philly. and I think part of it was I died such a horrific death in the final three miles of that race that, and I I like knew how I felt. I was like, I could not possibly have done more, and like it was also just so far beyond what I could have expected. Like we talked about the theoretical upper limit. I thought my upper limit was shy of what I did that day. And like, clearly turns out I was wrong and I hopefully can still do more. But like, I thought I had reached it that day. I thought I had like probably hit my peak and I in some ways felt content with that. So, uh, you know, we, we talked earlier about like enjoying success, uh, and how even, uh, when you win a national championship, you're still feeling like the pressure of, of what's next. I mean, given that this is an OTQ time, did like h- how did how did you unpack those feelings? Uh, I mean, it was kind of just a whirlwind because like all of a sudden I was talking to like pro groups and visiting pro groups in like the next couple of weeks after that and trying to like, am I going to move and join, you know, a group and like give the like real professional running thing a shot? And that that was really weird. Um, and then there was the big question of like Olympic trials qualifying. And then I got like, I got the bad news. Like, I think it was like a month later that that was outside of the window. The window wasn't starting until January 1st. Uh, that kind of crushed me. And and this is November, right? Like this is Thanksgiving week. Yeah. God. Um, that, that crushed me a little bit. I'm glad that information wasn't out there. (laughs) <laughs> cause I was kind of living under this delusion that like I was qualified for the Olympic trials already, which felt nice. Um, I'm still not qualified, which is, it's stressing me out now, but, uh, but yeah, it was just, it was crazy. It was, it was the most content I'd been in a long time with, with running. So, and I was coaching a high school team at the time and like just coming back to their response to it was amazing too. Like they were the most supportive group I could have, could have asked for. 
That is so cool. Um, uh, why, why ultimately decide not to do something with like pro running groups or whatever? Uh, it's unfortunate, but the final decision and, um, I was about to join, I was, I was, I was about to join the group out in Michigan with Hanson's Brooks, but, uh, I couldn't find a doctor that specialized in my disease close enough that I felt comfortable, uh, making a big move like that. Um, because you got, you got to look out for the health first and like, damn. Yeah. That, that was unfortunate, but it's what happens. Yeah. So you said the word ignorant a lot during your discussion of, uh, of the time. So like now, um, and then, and then you also said it a second ago, you mentioned the stress of, of not having the OTQ for 2024. So th- this is kind of like a twofer, if you will, w- when you look back on that, um, and, and how you kind of didn't know what you were doing. And now in theory, you do know what you're doing more, but like you haven't been able to attain uh, that goal again. I, I mean, I guess that's my biggest issue. I'm yeah, thinking yeah. too much. How, how do you marry those two? I, the thing that I'm trying to do right now, like I'm confident in my training. I'm confident in my fitness. The thing that I need to do now to like go and get my OTQ or like be able to PR again is I need to stop thinking so much. Like that's really what it boils down to. I, I think myself out of races. I think myself out of going to starting lines because I don't I'll, I'll the week before the race, I'll decide I'm not fit for some reason. Um, and I've had some unfortunate, like getting injured or sick at the wrong time. Like I missed, I missed CIM last year because I got COVID the week before. And that, that just, that, that is what it is. Like, um, you're not, I'm not getting on an airplane like with co like, uh, but yeah, I need to stop thinking. <laughs> I was a much better runner when I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, how, how many marathons have you had, I guess? Uh, have you signed up for since Philadelphia? And, and how many have you got to the start line or, or started? What, what, what's that number look like? Uh, so I didn't start CIM, which I think was fair. I had COVID. Um, I did Prague Marathon, Spring 22. And I did 13 miles of that and dropped out. Uh, I wasn't going to... I wasn't going to have my day there anyway. It was 70 degrees. I was doing horribly. Um, but I should have finished that race because I think it set a bad precedent for me. Once you start dropping out, it gets a lot easier to drop out. Um, so I'm really trying to like work to break that habit. Um, and then I did not finish a marathon, the, the, the Hudson Marathon, which I did for my first marathon. I didn't finish that in, in the fall as well. And then I didn't go to CIM cause I wasn't confident in my abilities. So, so, uh, what, what, what are you looking at for the rest of this year then? Uh, I'm trying to, I'm still learning how to be a, a full-time college coach of like men's, women's cross country track and field. Like I've got six teams, right? I'm trying to figure out how that works with a racing schedule. So what I've kind of got figured out for right now is I'm going to do a lot of racing this summer. I'm going to race very sparingly in the fall. And then after our cross country season ends, that gives me about two, three weeks to like put the final preparations for CIM together because CIM happens at a time where my team isn't busy. So that's sort of what I'm gearing up for. And I'm putting, I'm putting my back against the wall because obviously CIM is the the day before the the trials window like closes, but I think in a way that could be really good for me because I'm going to have no choice, but to get on that starting line. And I think that could be a powerful tool for me. I was, uh, I was speaking to my therapist recently and I was kind of laying out 
uh, a lot of the things that I'm doing. And I mentioned starting this podcast and we got to this point after I laid everything out and she kind of uh, like breathes really heavily like, <sighs> and she's like, are you doing too much? Uh, so I ask you the same question. Does this like feel uh, too much for you at times? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I feel like literally insane when I'm like, okay, the team bus is leaving at 8 a.m. to go to this meet. I can squeeze in a run at 6 a.m. And then we're going to get back around 8 p.m. And I can squeeze in my second run then. And like, I'll say that out loud to like one of my friends and they'll be like, why? And I'm like, you're, you're right. Like, yeah, but let me tell you X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I like, I like justify it. But yeah, the short answer is yes, I'm doing, I'm doing too much. Like, um, but I also I don't know how to do it any other way. You know, like I love the coaching thing more than I love the running thing. Like I, I would sell off the rest of my career for Marywood to be as good as possible in a heartbeat. Like, so it's, it's worth it to me. Like, and I, I honestly, part of the reason I still want to like go achieve big things is that I think it'd be like really cool for Marywood. Like the team is really supportive of me. Like they want to see me run fast. And like, I think that's been helpful to me because for a while I was trying to run fast for just me and being the coach of a team. Like I feel like I'm part of a team again, even though I'm not, I'm not racing with them, but like I'm running with them a lot. And sometimes I'm working out with them and I feel like I'm part of a team again. And like them wanting me to succeed is more powerful than me wanting me to succeed. I'm, re- I'm really happy you said that because I was scrolling through the team's Instagram this week uh, and just seeing, you know, the success and stuff. And I was thinking of like your yourself as an individual versus the success that your team, uh, that your athletes have. Um, and I was going to ask, how do you compare the feeling of the two? I mean, it's like, it's really cool hearing that answer because it's obviously how important, uh, it's obvious how important their success is versus even your own. Yeah. And like, it's, it's so weird how closely it maps because like, you know, you're never going to have like everybody on the team have a bad meet, but you can tell when like a meet doesn't go as well as you'd like it to. And that feeling it's, it's just as bad as going out and having a bad race. Sometimes it's worse because like I'm responsible for all of these people to, to some extent. And like, obviously there are extrinsic factors and like they got to go out and race for themselves too. But like, I want them to succeed as much as they want them to succeed so I've got, I've got 25 races happening. And like, if 10 of them go really bad, I'm going to be, I'm going to be kicking myself. How did you get into coaching in the first place? So I've always been fascinated by coaching and what really started it was I, I had a rough high school program. There wasn't tons of structure. And like my very early start was I graduated and had like kind of done the path forward into college running thing. And like my early like charges were like, Hey, can I like help my friends that are still on the team get fit over the summer and seeing them like go out and like Berwick becoming a real cross country team. Like I was like, man, that's, that's really cool. Like the team is starting to become something. And then like, that's what started my dreams of, of kind of coaching for myself. And then I got into like a private coaching business, mostly just like, you know, high schoolers here and there that were kind of in my situation. Like they weren't getting tons of guys. Like their coach was like, go out and run three miles every single day. That was it. Um, and then that led to a high school job opening up in Wilkes-Barre. Took that job. I'm at Holy Redeemer. I'm living with a, a college coach. He ends up leaving to go to a D2 university. His job opens up. I apply and I get it. And then like, I've, I've quickly gone from like 
private coach to college coach dream job in like two years. And like I said, I don't want to be anything other than division three. Division three is the, like, I have no aspirations of like going up to division one. I don't want scholarships. I want to be able to bring anybody onto my team. Who's a good person, regardless of their PR, like that, like I'm, I'm in the dream here. What do you, what do you look for? What do you, what do you look for in a high school runner as, you know, uh, you know, hopefully bring them into the, the folding college. Yeah. I just want them to want to be better. That's, that's really all there is to it. Like if their teammates like them and they have a fire for the sport, like that's what it's about. Like, I'm recruiting a kid right now who I desperately want to be on the team. He's never broken six in the mile. And every, like we have guys on our team who I think are going to run 410 this year. And I'm just as excited for that kid because I think he's going to be the best teammate. Like that, that's what I want on the team. Like if you have a bunch of good guys, it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to make the good guys better. Like that's, that's what it is. Kind of along those lines. uh, What's your favorite part about coaching just in general? Uh, I just like being around a lot of people who have the, have the same dream. Like right now we're really rallied around uh, trying to make nationals this year for the first time in school history uh, on the guy's side. And the work that those guys are putting in is like, it's so special to see. And just like seeing, seeing a group unified around a singular goal is such a, it's such a cool thing because it elevates all of them. Like I think, they're all going to be better than they ever could be, you know, just running on their own because they want this, not just for themselves, but for each other. And that's just so it's a, it's a special thing. What's your favorite part about running? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, the, I, I just like the community. I like, I like putting up the big numbers and putting them on Strava because the community is a lot of fun and I like interacting with it, you know, like, yeah, that's that's kind of it, I guess. Uh, so we uh, we finish every podcast by asking our guests, and gosh, I, I need to rewrite this question. It's not our guest. Uh, I finished the podcast. You know, I'm I, I'm so used to to speaking about this uh, in a sports talk term uh, where it's me and we and all these things. Uh, I'm keeping this in. I'm not going to edit it out. Um, I end every podcast. Uh, by asking the guests what they are chasing. It could be a literal time goal. It could be qualifying for something. It could just be a feeling. Uh, you have a lot of different ways to go. What are you chasing? Uh, chasing two things. We're chasing Marywood being as good as they can be, seeing the upper limit of that, and I'm trying to find my own. You know, It's all about seeing what you can be. Dylan Geringer, thank you so much for joining me today on Chasing Three Hours. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks again to Dylan Geringer for joining me on today's episode. Thanks to Ian Alio for production assistance, as well as music and sound design. Thanks to Riss for the cover art. Head to Chasing3Hours.com for more from me, including my weekly newsletter, as I write about my experience training for the 2024 Boston Marathon. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and maybe share with a friend as well. New episodes will drop on Friday mornings. Enjoy your long run this weekend. <laughs>